0: And welcome. This is Michael Krasny welcoming you to another episode of Gray Matter with Michael Krasny. Today we talk with the authors of The Joy of Cannabis, a well-researched book on weed, pot, reefer, ganja, dope, Mary Jane, or whatever name or designation you use for the flower they esteem as joy and health producing and anxiety decreasing and creating more productivity. And I could go on. Many benefits and many treasures that are Detailed in this book, Melanie Abrams, an editor and photographer, is author of the novels Playing and Meadowlark. She teaches writing at UC Berkeley. Journalist and storytelling evangelist Larry Smith is founder of the Six Word Memoir Project and book series and editor of the book The Moment, wild, poignant, life-changing stories from 125 artists, famous and obscure. Together, they recently published The Joy of Cannabis, 75 Ways to Amplify Your Life Through the Science and Magic of Cannabis, They both join us for this episode. Welcome to both of you. Good to have you. What
1: what a pleasure, Michael. Thank you.
0: Well, the pleasure for you two is definitely in cannabis. In fact, (laughs) uh, this is really a celebration and in many ways, maybe even a glorification. I don't think I'm using that word inadvisably here. Uh, I may have some other paths to take us on in terms of questioning because I feel that's duty-bound in the old journalistic sense that I like to think uh, I epitomize and sometimes represent. Um, We'll get to all that down the line, but let's talk first of all about the genesis of this. I mean, clearly you're trying to convince people that they can not only be more joyful, but a lot healthier and certainly a lot more productive if they use this magic flower.
1: Well, you know, the genesis of this book is really, um, it was such an organic and lovely genesis. I had moved back to the Bay Area in 2019 and went to a holiday party in December. And I'm talking to, you know, different friends I knew and didn't. And um, Melanie was one of those people I had just met. And she said, which shouldn't be a crazy question, 2019 in the Bay Area or many areas of the world. Hey, I'm not much of a drinker, but does anyone want to join me out on the deck and get high?
2: Yeah, and he's the only one who said yes, which was, you know, as he said surprising for the Bay Area. Um and so we went out and
1: and we just started talking. We we uh, uh, we started talking about what it's like to move back to the Bay Area from the Midwest and and the Beatles and and our love of cannabis. And while Melanie and I of those who know us, we're not what we would you would call filtered or inhibited people. A great conversation, just kind of just blossomed and bloomed, even better conversation with the uh, with the aid of our friend, uh, Cannabis.
0: Well, the aid of your friend, Cannabis, seems to be productive and seems to be highlighted in so many areas. I found this book very informative, and I want to certainly give a good plug for it because I think there's a lot of information here, as well as, as research. A good deal of it may be subjective and anecdotal, but that goes with the territory, and there are all kinds of things to learn about pot, weed, again, whatever word you choose, uh, by reading your book and by really immersing yourself in this book, but I wanted to, to get at the whole sense of, let me actually, Melanie, let me begin with something that perhaps may come as a surprise. That is that women are certainly more, uh, shall we say, uh, how should I phrase this, less troubled by THC and by cannabis, uh, and not only that, but maybe there should be more women potheads than that. <laughs> But also all of these concerns about women and sexuality—you mm. seem to be saying no. They're much more orgasmic and enjoying sex to a much greater degree.
2: Yeah, you know. As we know, because cannabis is a Schedule I drug, the amount of research that's been done on it is just lacking. Although we're trying to make up for that, you know, as things change and evolve. But some of the things that you know researchers have found out is one is that cannabis actually affects women in it's more potent for women um, in all kinds of ways, um, and the sexual side effects are really good for women. Like in our book, we talk about um, we interviewed someone who you know describes it as uh, you know natural Viagra for women. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of research and also a lot of anecdotal evidence on that being true, but it's, we're not exactly sure why it works. There's different ideas about why, but we haven't been able to find, you know, why cannabis, you know, makes women more orgasmic. it could be because they're more relaxed. It's a vasovasal dilator, so it opens the blood vessels. Um, But there's still lots of like misunderstanding about it.
0: And Larry, let's uh, take a look at that shirt you're wearing because you're the master of... uh, congealing things into a
1: few number of words that is true so it's hard to see if you're uh, hearing this on on the podcast but for those who are seeing the stream uh sparking joy with science and magic which uh a t-shirt that our agent gave us today the book was released which is uh, a six six words on our book and what we're trying to do in our kind of our evangelism for you know not for everyone but we think for a lot of people don't understand the many joys and magic uh, of cannabis
0: And neither of you owns uh, a dispensary or has interest in one?
2: No, no, we're purely uh, consumers.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting like as 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 my 12-year-old son uh, said, well, "Dad, why don't you start a dispensary?" and I this is what I told him. I said, "You know, first of all, uh, it's very complicated and expensive." Um and and you know, part of our book delves into equity issues and criminal justice issues, and I'll just say with all due respect to uh, many white owners of dispensaries who are doing good work, we the world doesn't need uh two two more, two more people uh uh white writers, uh, opening, uh, a dispensary. Um, but you know, again, and you, you know, say white
0: all, because your book points out that only 1% of dispensaries are owned by blacks, right?
1: Exactly. And you know, there are some States yeah. including California are trying to do something about that. But, um, we, uh, we're writers, we're, we're probably not business people. And, um, but we want to support some wonderful businesses who are doing great work, um, there every day in their dispensaries and in conferences and, and, You know, hopefully um, this book helps people widen the world, not just on what this ancient flower can do, but how you can use this in sort of a thoughtful and mindful way.
0: Well, you are evangelical when it comes to cannabis, that's clear. I mean, you're certainly making a case uh, for it's creating more productivity, more joy, more closeness to nature, more appreciation of music and food and movies and so many things that we can look at. What about some of the other things that one hears, particularly... Well, I'll give you a personal example here. When I smoked pot, I would get paranoid. And I knew yeah. a number of people who would get paranoid. Yeah. Maybe the stuff wasn't as good then as it is now. If anything, perhaps it was probably not as potent as what we buy now. Um, but at the same time, this does occur to some people. And there's yeah. also, as you point out in your book, sometimes uh, some data that suggests a diminution of cognitive abilities and memory loss and all of those kinds of things. So when we celebrate it, I I just want to sort of point out in my own evangelical way, which is journalistic, that there are other sides to this. There's the joy, and then there's also the concern. My concern has always been with teenagers, because their brains aren't fully developed. And a lot of them are using pot and driving on pot. We can't measure how that's going to affect them or what kind of impact it has on them. So uh, like we can with alcohol. I I, I grant you it's a lot better to use pot than to use alcohol. You make the case for that as well. and. Certainly, that's an easy polemic in many ways to make, and a good one. But Pine has its downsides.
2: Yeah, it does.
0: this you read this we, book, and you come away with this feeling of exultation <laughs> and rhapsody, and all that.
2: Yeah, well, to, addressing kind of two of those points. One is that. We, yeah, we are firm believers in like no one using cannabis before the age of 25 when the frontal lobe is fully developed. It definitely has negative impacts on the brain development. Um, But what's interesting is, you know, your thing particularly about being too anxious or paranoid on cannabis, it's. Before kind of everything became regulated, dispensaries, you know, companies were looking into what each of these cannabinoids, because you know, cannabis is made up of all kinds of different cannabinoids and what they do to the body, you just got what you got. So one of the reasons why people, some people become more paranoid or anxious on cannabis is because they're smoking um, or ingesting cannabis that has too high of THC. So one of my favorite things to do is talk to people about their experiences of cannabis and say, well, how do you want to feel um, and what, it, what do you not want to feel? And let me try and help figure out something that works for you. So if you're someone who it gets paranoid in cannabis, what you probably want is to get something that is low THC and high CBD. CBD can counteract the um, effects of, of THC and that anxiety and paranoia can like be diminished. Um, so that's, you know, one thing, but, but definitely it's not, you know, in some ways we think it's the wonder drug or the wonder plant, but of course there's downsides to it as well and, and health risks to be aware of. Um, and, and again, like back to this idea that it's still a schedule one drug, there's been so little research done that it's hard to know both what the benefits are as well as the downsides.
0: Well, I like what you do with the history here A schedule one drug. It never probably should have been and was because of Harry Anslinger and because of, Reefer Madness and some other things that we could cite uh, that really build the case for this. And and racism, as you point out, and the association of uh, people of color as being heavy users of marijuana. But get back to anxiety for a minute. You have a lot of interesting essays in here, one by a guy named Derek Barris, who I don't Mm. know, but who makes the case that he had really terrible anxiety. He just had to find the right dose. to deal with this anxiety. Sometimes it's almost as simple as that in terms of the ameliorative or positive effects, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. And also, the other thing that is less known to most users, even, you know... People use cannabis a lot. Is that it's not just THC that affects you? There's all, like a whole host of other you know properties within cannabis, one including terpenes. And terpenes are the oils that are in, actually in any plant. So like if you go up to a plant and you rub it between your hands and you smell it, those oils are what you're smelling. So for example, like in lavender, we all know that like relaxing scent of lavender. That if you go into you know a spa, you're always going to smell that, and that's because it has linalool in it. That's the terpene that lavender has. But some cannabis also has has linalool so if you are looking for you know those relaxing properties and anti-anxiety you might want to find a strain that has linalool in it because it has that same kind of um re- relaxing kind of anti-anxiety
1: properties
0: and a good cardinal rule larry better to eat than to smoke
1: well it's interesting so i well well a couple things Think about this, this plant that's been around for 2,000 years. And because of, as you point out, Harry Anslinger, the first uh, head of the Bureau of Narcotics, <clears throat> needed something to run on, or to, he needed a bully pulpit, prohibitions ending. So he's like, hey, why don't I, uh, 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 why don't I uh, conflate this idea of a lot of Mexican immigration coming in with this marijuana, right? Which is the, the Spanish word for, for cannabis. So he created and now this... now it's fentanyl. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he created this fear and suddenly a plant that was, le- that was legal and safe for 2,000 years, it's in an ancient Chinese pharmaceutical journals, was for this blip from the late 30s until you know federal law eventually changes it, perhaps in the next 10 years. It's a blip. So that gap, that important gap, so much is lost and it could have been learned about, about this plant. So there's a lot of education that needs to happen. It's like, we know a lot about alcohol, as you've pointed out. Um,
0: we still need so, to do more research on cannabis. I mean, Yeah, and you, and, and you mentioned the,
1: the Schedule One thing. Um, it is a Schedule I drug, but the uh, Health and Human Services just recommended to the DEA we should move cannabis to a Schedule Three drug, which says unlikely to cause a physical or psychological problems. And that'll be a big for just kind of awareness and for people feeling like a little less scary and being more interested in something that's not that you know, that, that very, uh, scary schedule one. But in terms of edibles, uh, versus a uh, smoking it or flour, um, it's interesting because we wrote this book together, but we're, 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 different in many ways. Um, I love edibles in a way because well, back in college, someone hands you a pot brownie and suddenly you're like crawling on the floor and biting the rug, bad scene, right? Because who knows what's in there, right? Um, now, You go into a dispensary and you know exactly what you're getting. You can talk to a bud tender, especially if you don't go at 5 p.m. on Friday when it's rush hour. Go at 2 p.m. on Tuesday if you can. And we have all that kind of information in the book. And you know exactly what you're getting and every body is different. Every mind is different. And then I love the control piece of edibles. And Melanie likes flour because...
2: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, and this is something else that people don't necessarily know is that, you know, THC, which is the psychoactive property in cannabis, when you smoke it, it turns into one. A molecule, But when you ingest it, it actually turns into another molecule. So if you feel differently when you are eating it versus smoking it, there's a reason for that. It's also processed differently in our body. One is through like if you're eating it it's through the liver and the stomach versus, you know, through the lungs and it hits you immediately goes to the bloodstream. So I just am not a huge fan of the effects that cannabis has on me when I eat it. Um, and it really is super individual.
0: Well, it's also individual in terms of the remarkable number of people who have tried and given testimony to cannabis, you get into sort of these running arguments of who the bigger user of cannabis is between, you know, somebody like Snoop Doggy dog and Willie Nelson. (laughs) I think Willie Nelson comes out in the lead. I don't know how Seth Rogen fits into all this, but there's even a map, you know, part of this, it seems to me is also to encourage the idea that lots of people, famous people, celebrated people use the drug, the flower, whatever you, choose to call it. And it's okay because they say it's okay. They give their imprimatur to it by the fact that they use it. Um, We've got some people here that sort of surprised me though, a little bit. And I wondered how, how do we know Marilyn Monroe used cannabis, for
1: example? Oh, it was just documented. I mean, you know, we went beyond Wikipedia to do research, but um, you, you know, uh, well, people like Louis Armstrong, who were very vocal about it, you know, cannabis is great free creativity, and we have a great essay about that by, by Fab Five Freddy, you know, one of the, the great legends of, of, the, of the New York City hip-hop scene and art scene. Um, so, you know, some of it's, it seems, it's interesting. While, while, you know, Melanie sometimes talks about mommy juice, which is about, you know, all the moms are after, you know, when they're having meetings, or doing Chardonnay and all that kind of thing. And, and she's like, hey, uh, I don't really drink. I'd like to get high. But when you actually step up and say... I use this, I use it mindfully, safely, and increasingly legally, depending on where you live, that normalizes things. So it's sort of fun to put in Marilyn Monroe and Ruth Bader Ginsburg and note, as as uh, Seth Rogan told Steve, Stephen Colbert when uh, Stephen said to Seth, are you high now? And he said, I am high exclusively all the time, every day.
0: Yeah, but you have some surprises here. I, I was a little bit surprised uh, to see on this list um, names like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and... Uh, Barack Obama, for example. I was going to bring up Sarah Silverman, who said, quote, stoners usually have genius ideas. We just never do anything with them. That's a funny line, but it's also, I suppose, a line that resonates with some truth to it. The, let's talk about this idea of, especially young people with their underdeveloped minds or even people who are past the age of 25, being stoners and therefore being kind of out of it, and just not as with it, uh, and not as productive not as creative uh you make the exact opposite argument in your book so let's go there
2: yeah and i think i mean there is truth to that kind of stereotype is that if you're smoking high thc weed every day all day your productivity is definitely going to be lowered um but one of the things we talk about in some of the research that's been done is on this like low doses of of cannabis um and that at a low doses cannabis can actually make you more productive. Um, It can increase focus. It can increase uh, something called priming where you, the ideas that are connected, the the ideas that you kind of brainstorm, like when you, when you think about how you brainstorm, one idea comes after the other, after the other, um, that can be increased. So there's like a lot of ways that productivity is definitely increased with the caveat that yeah, too much cannabis is definitely not gonna help you, you know, write the next great American novel.
1: <laughs> you're, especially if you have couch lock and you're eating, you know, potato chip after potato chip. Right. But but you know, that idea that um cannabis also puts you in a state of flow that completely present feeling and immersed in a task. Um, and a lot of you hear about the term microdosing, and we don't mean microdosing acid or psilocybin, we mean small, like 2.5 milligrams of cannabis. Um, and some people you know, do that throughout the day and they just feel like it keeps them in a state of flow and really focused. And that's, uh, some, you know, when we were going around the country touring the book, people said, listen, is everyone in Silicon Valley um, high at work? And I'm like, not everyone, but a number of people are.
0: Colin says, apart from writing a book detailing the safety and utility of cannabis use, what are the additional challenges of changing decades of negative public opinion?
2: Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons we really wanted to write the book. Um, If you actually see the book, it's, you know, we didn't have a hand in making it this beautiful uh, kind of coffee table thing, but we had hoped for that. and one of our hopes is that, yeah, this book can be left out on coffee tables, so it can just be part of the normalization process. Like one of the things that like Larry referred to earlier is, you know, my not disgust, but kind of umbrage about, you know, going to parent type play dates and, you know, everyone drinking and this idea of mommy juice, um, when the reality is that you know, there's alcohol is definitely more dangerous and has as many negative, if not more negative um, side effects as, as cannabis d- it does. And so we really wanted to kind of be part of that normalization movement with this book. Um, And and hopefully change, you know, generations moving forward so there isn't that stigma.
1: And and I'll add that we're very much... Some people have said to me, you know, Larry, I didn't know you were this big stoner. And I said, well, I've been a regular user, you know, since I was 25, let's just say. But as it became more really precise, I know what I'm getting. I think I increased my use. But but what we say is we are not... Um, you know, hi all day or anything, not that there's anything wrong with it, I guess. But like, we're like your friend who knew a little bit more about cannabis than you did. And we kept getting asked questions. And when you tell people you're working on a book or thinking about a book and they start asking you questions, that's a good sign that maybe the book is needed. So we wanted to, uh, number one, <clears throat> the book, just absolutely give shout outs to the people who've been fighting this fight for legalization, normalization for years. We talked to so many of them and just really like said, you know what, you have allowed this book to be possible. But we wanted
0: to Normal be- Normal was the big, actually, wasn't it? Mm-hmm.
1: Normal, Normal for sure. And Maps with Rick Doblin and, and you know, and really uh, wonderful people who, you know, we, we talked to some of these people and we said, how do you feel about the moment? And they say, we feel great. We've been working for decades. So the book had to I mentioned feel- Normal
0: also because I was supposed to do a show with one of the leaders of Normal way back when. Didn't show up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wondered he too, if he was maybe too high or something. He might, you know, like, he might have, have been that high THC,
1: it, not enough CBD. But but the book had to be something you felt good about leaving on your coffee table, just the way you would maybe a book about wine, right? Or bourbon. Or a book about coffee. And yeah. coffee. And I like all those items we've just mentioned. I drink them all. And so that was part of it. It had to be something that felt readable, accessible, but for, the, for people who have been uh, cannabis users for a long time. Also, there's something new for them to learn, and maybe, you know, oh, I didn't think about it this way. Or also, they can help explain it better to others who ask them these same questions. We get a lot of questions.
0: Well, our Grey Matter podcast may be uh, perceived as being somewhat too much of an advocate for pa- cannabis. We had Lee Child on in the last mm-hmm. podcast we did, and uh, the author of all these Reacher books, 28 of them. yeah. And he's a major, uh, he calls himself a stoner. I mean, and, you know, he's glories in the fact that, in fact, he said he moved to Colorado largely because things were changing in terms of legality. And things are changing just as we speak here. I mean, even with all of the movement backward on abortion and so many other things that we could point to which are regressive or reactionary, the movement for legalization still exists and is moving forward, isn't
1: it? We're at 38 states that have um, some version of a recreational or medical. Um, the next election should probably bring three or four more in. 23 full-on legal, uh, full-on recreational, uh, everything, everything legal. And yeah, there's only one direction for this, and it is actually one of these um, issues that has pretty much across the aisle, Democrats, and Republicans, and Independents, that there's a fair amount of agreement on. Um, and the tax money is great for for the states. Um, and, uh, you know, it seems again... Just remember though,
0: you've got a new leader in the House of Representatives who may not agree with all of that. Uh, In fact, may feel just the opposite. Uh, there's not one way to go except Nothing will
1: surprise us about him, but like at least, you know, including his name, which no one knew two weeks ago, but still.
0: Well, uh, they're still getting used to the identity because it was pretty obscure, to put it mildly, especially for someone who served in the House and, uh, who was... Not so much a part of the Freedom Caucus, but a part of the movement against, uh, or should I say, favoring the idea that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. Um, Election deniers, they're now called. So let's get down to some basics here. What's your favorite recipe? You've got a whole bunch of them in here, but a lot of people love to cook with marijuana, pot, uh, this magic, as you call it, flour. What's the best recipe? for you either? I mean, in terms of your own taste or just generally that you think people should know about?
2: Yeah. You know, I think for people that are super into the DIY thing, they really want to get it in there and get their hands dirty. And, you know, we include a bunch of recipes in the books and there's a lot of other stuff to be found online, but I have to be honest, like you can buy almost anything now infused with cannabis. We, when we were um, touring, we uh, had just as a kind of funny kind of prop, Um, gravy for Thanksgiving (laughs) infused with cannabis, you know, add water and there's your Thanksgiving turkey gravy. Um, So (laughs) if I'm going to do an edible, I honestly prefer just normal gummies, like one of the very first things that, you know, showed up in the dispensaries. I mean, what about you? Well,
1: I'm saying one of the the delightful things about doing the book is reaching out to people and, and they're saying, oh, I'm so glad you're writing this book. And I would say perhaps no one more than the chefs. The chefs who were like, we have seven course wine tasting dinners, and that's great. Why wouldn't we be having, you know, maybe five is enough courses for cannabis, five course cannabis dinners. And they're they're making the most remarkable food. And look, every dinner table is different. But I will tell you, a dinner table round with with people who are a little high versus very drunk is going to be a better conversation.
0: Question about what you might advise people who want to use cannabis, but who are concerned about the disapproval of others.
1: Uh, well, you know, I would say, first of all, like anything in life, I want to climb, uh, the Himalayas. I want to, you know, go uh, parachuting. Uh, you should have a buddy who's done, who's been there before. So we're kind of like your buddy. If you our book is your buddy. Right. And, and, um, and so someone says, how do you, you know, how do I, how do I navigate a dispensary? Right. So we have stuff about that in the book, but, um, and then they kind of show you the ropes, and they kind of make it—I um, don't know—unscary or, or more normalized. And like anything in life, go low and slow, right? So, um, you, if you put a lot of cannabis in your body, a lot too much THC, and you're too high, there are ways to to make to bring things down. More CBD, uh, a warm bath is never a bad bad idea. A walk with a friend. Um, but it's a little easier if you start with a lower. Um, strain of THC and less cannabis, maybe 2.5 or five milligrams. And then you can always add. So take it easy. Be, don't do it alone, the first time I would say. Go, do, go Be with someone who's been there, done that, and they will help show you the ropes. And, and um, if it feels um, weird because you're the only one in, in your world doing it, I don't know. You'd be surprised by how many people are thinking exactly what you're thinking, but maybe do it in secret. Or as we normalize things, things become uh, more accepted. And
2: and the highest growth in cannabis users is seniors. So, you know, the people that you think would have the most kind of stigma against it, grew up in a time when it was completely illegal, um, are the people that are really investigating it the most and are the most interested. And some of that has to do... the most,
0: in numbers, the greatest enthusiasts now, often finding that they can sleep better and that they can be healthier and all the kinds of things that you talk about in the book. I want to get into some of those health issues, but I also... Was just going to say uh, there there are plenty of people who um, who find that the use of cannabis just relaxes them and makes them deal easier with life and the stresses of life and the vicissitudes and all of that. Somebody wants to know though about the sugar content of
1: gummies. I guess you got to consider <laughs> that too, don't you?
2: that's true (laughs) i mean there's such
1: tiny little items i'm sure there's some in there but but but
2: you know what if you are you know you don't want all that sugar there's so many other options i mean not only you know kind of like savory items but also you can get just distillate right that's in a kind of in dropper so you're only taking the pure thc and not getting anything else that goes along with it put it it
1: in your sugar-free lemonade yeah but you know michael let's talk about seniors for a second um we have a beautiful essay by Alia Voles, a Bay Area writer, and uh, she wrote a book about how her, her, her family had like this, uh, this, this uh, pot delivery service in the 70s, and she was like a kid and watching this. And we said, hey, do you want to write something about that, about cooking with cannabis? And she said, you know, I could. But one of the, my favorite thing about cannabis is the way I connect with, with older people, parents, grandparents, just, you know, anyone, because inhibitions come down and conversations go up. So that idea of the connection piece is so, so important. And with my own Well, you talk about parents, bonding.
0: You, I mean, you make the case for bonding as being enhanced by the use of cannabis and also- It's
1: absolutely, absolutely, I think our favorite part of the book.
0: Certainly, this plant could help connect us uh, because we don't, I mean, everything's virtual. You don't get to look in people's eyes and you don't get to really experience in them. But uh, I'm also wondering why you have a little section about gratitude, about writing thank-you notes and- green gratitude and everything. How that, how does that tie in?
2: Um, I think that, you know, we put that under connection in that, I mean, I, I think we both agree that cannabis's superpower is connecting people, um, probably connecting you and putting you in the moment. And the gratitude thing is, you know, you talked about lowering inhibitions, um, kind of just like allowing you to sit in the moment and and those two, that combination of wanting to connect and to be focused in the moment seems like a really good pairing for any kind of gratitude. So, you know, the book has all kinds of ideas that you might not have thought of. You know, everyone knows, watch movies, you know, have sex, eat food on, on cannabis. But we wanted to like kind of open it up to give you other things to do with cannabis as well. So the gratitude was, was part of that.
0: Well, when you talk about sex, uh, again, I'm reminded of something in your book that makes a great deal of sense. People talk about passionate lovemaking and feeling great and pleasure tingling in every cell and everything sometimes when they use cannabis. You don't hear that with alcohol uh, somehow.
1: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean I, there's so the a, contrast a like, right there, yeah. A joke I like to make, make when there's not a nine-year-old in the audience at book readings is, said nobody ever, that was great drunk sex, right? But like high sex, and I mean, maybe this is a good time to talk about the endocannabinoid system if, because that's really about getting in the moment. Okay, let's
0: talk about it. Let's let's be <laughs> good this and and talk about getting in the moment and all that joy and pleasure from cannabis enhancing.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, uh just a like a word on the endocannabinoid system um you know we didn't know how cannabis worked in our brains and our bodies until the 80s and we had no idea that within our bodies you know for since the beginning of humans existed this thing that we now call the endocannabinoid system and its whole point is to bring our bodies to a point of homeostasis so if you're too hot it makes you know temperature control it can help with uh blood sugar regulation um and so the reason that we discovered this is that there were researchers in Israel who were figuring out, they were trying to figure out how cannabis worked in the brain. And so they looked at THC and they found that it bo- binded with these receptors in the brain that already existed. And they said, well, why are these receptors there? Are they exclusively there just to bind with cannabis and make us high? And what they discovered was the endocannabinoid system. So we have within us natural occurring endocannabinoids that react similarly to plant can- cannabinoids. Um, well, Forgive and me, no, but those, you also yeah.
0: bring uh, into focus the amygdala and the effect on the amygdala, which is yeah. central really, isn't it? Yeah.
2: yeah, definitely. I mean, well, it two dif- they're kind of two different things. So the, the way that cannabis binds with these receptors and produces a lot of the effects that we know, um, the amygdala blood is kind of f- directed towards the amygdala, so it makes that, that part of the brain hyperactive. And so they're kind of two different, different systems, but they're both working to give us the effects that we, you know, think of when we think of cannabis and what
1: happens to our bodies. And when the THC goes into the endocannabinoid system, a system that that works so much like THC that they named it after cannabis. Can you imagine how getting that name through the endocannabinoid system? So in the layman, I'd say, and for the layman, which is me, cannabis decreases inhibitions, can make you more focused. And really what we're talking about puts you in the moment. And the reason you're in the moment is that cannabis, as you mentioned earlier, Michael, does make you forget. But just for a momentary lapse, uh, for momentary, it doesn't, it's not long-term uh, memory loss. And that's why when you forget about everything else except what you're doing, nature seems more beautiful, food can be tastier, Music slows down. We have a whole piece about it, why, how it works in the brain, by a by a terrific musician. Music s- slows down, and high sex with the right strain and the right person, we would argue, is the secret to the universe.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm certainly receptive and believer <laughs> when it comes to that, um, from experience. But again, I get back to the paranoia that I sometimes and others experience. On it's it's mixed. It, maybe it depends on. Uh, What you're smoking or, well, we got a question actually from Linda, who's up in Seattle, who says, my mom had dementia, and many other health issues. We started giving her small pieces of cannabis with chocolate from the dispensary and her mood elevated, her pain decreased. And by the way, we did consult with her doctor and she off the record approved. Often that is off the record, of course. Yeah. But let's go back to what I was saying before about the panacea. And I want to get your response to this, either one of you or both of you. Because there is a lot of a case made here for almost everything physically that we could think of as maladies. I mean, even cancer is mentioned, you know, um, let, let alone a lot of the autoimmune diseases, diabetes and so forth, Parkinson's. A lot of these things need to do more double-blind. There has to be more research. I mean, yeah. the assumptions may be fair-minded, uh, but they're pretty anecdotal in a lot of cases. Would you concede?
2: I wouldn't say anecdotal as much because, you know, I did a lot of research on the studies that exist, but the problem is that there just isn't enough studies. Um, You know, you can't kind of say uh, cannabis is great for Parkinson's based on like one study of 30 people. So that's kind of the problem is that we just need to have more research done. You know, I think the best thing to say is cannabis shows a lot of promise for a lot of different maladies, but we're still in such early days of figuring it out. I mean, even if you just look at something like sleep, Um, cannabis is known to help with sleep, but what they've just recently figured out within the last few years is that it's one particular cannabinoid, which is CBN. So there's strains out there that don't have any CBN in them or have low CBN. And that's not something that you would want to use for sleep then. so Didn't Larry get rid of insomnia
1: with cannabis? Didn't you, Larry? I mean, so, and, and here's the thing. Uh, yeah, I it really did. It, it was a big part of helping with insomnia, but also, frankly, as it combined with talk therapy. To be honest, those two things really did it. And but but you know but but before I found the right strain and even understood about CBN, because this is you know, going back years. I I you know I experiment. I had I bought you know different types of edibles and tried different types of cannabis, and you know it just took a minute, right? Um, because unlike say. The researchers said, "Well, Tylenol will do this to you, and Advil will do this, and this is one to take." We are—it's such—it's—it's it's a two-thousand-year-old flower, and yet because of that—that that gap when it was—it um, was illegal, and it still is in some states. Um, we are so behind in the incredible research that needs to happen. Um, so it's—but I had to do my own sort of experimentation, and it takes a minute, and some people just don't have it in them.
0: What about the dispensaries? I mean, uh, I don't know about regulation and how tight it is and all of that, but used to be concerned about paraquat and other stuff being sprayed on on cannabis. Uh, still a concern?
2: You know, we definitely need more regulation. There's no federal regulation right now. Each state regulates its own individual industry. I would say I would be you, you mean insecticide being sprayed on cannabis and then we're inhaling it. basically, is that the concern? that and other things yeah right you know there probably isn't enough regulation to determine whether a hundred percent of the time that's not happening but i think it's the same with eating strawberries from the grocery store you know the same kinds of things are happening so i'm not sure one is worse than the other
1: you know one of the things about dispensaries are and even a a dispensary owner um steve D'Angelo, a former dispensary over of the legendary harbor side in the bay area said to us was look if you're getting started with this Go into a fancy like Apple store looking dispensary, right? These are the best trained bud tenders in the world. And um, go, you know, not at rush hour, right? 5 p.m. on a, you know, Friday, go. And they would love to talk to you and just talk to you the way Melanie and I can talk to you about, well, what what are you looking for? You know, strains. And, you know, they also, you know, not every uh, type of cannabis brand is the same. And there's just some great brands that are just doing all the right things in terms of, you know, organic farming and that kind of thing. But um, but then you know once you know what you're doing you can then go to a less fancy dispensary which is you know putting has to have higher prices because of their their store and their trained bud tenders and do it yourself you know so there is some experimentation and legwork that you need to do
0: and we're talking to the authors of the joy of cannabis that's joy singular not like the joys of sex by Alex Comfort joy of, the joy of cannabis a lot of the joy comes through movie watching and you go through some detailed accounts of be some of the best movies to watch. Big Lebowski's up there pretty high, isn't it? And Bill and Ted's <laughs> Adventure, uh,
1: Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I mean, there's some classics in there. And of course, it'd be fun to hear if people have the book, uh, what's their favorite movie to watch high. But the Big Lebowski seems to be, you know, if you haven't seen the Big Lebowski high, that's the start and end there, right? And every- Is there a stereotype?
0: You- uh, I'm sorry, Larry, go ahead. Yeah.
1: Uh, and people use alcohol thoughtfully and unthoughtfully, right? Yeah. And we don't sort of say, oh, alcohol is all bad. It's just about- you know, you know, live live the way, show it the way you do it, right? Like, be be thoughtful about it. Don't push it on people if they're not ready or don't want it. And just, you know, and get and it. education is really the key to the whole thing. Understanding it better makes you a better user, a better consumer. And if you like what you see, a better evangelist.
0: Yeah, well said. And your book is quite educational. Again, kudos on that. Uh, wondering, though, about maybe um, the stereotyping that has the notion, and it's somewhat in your book, forgive me for putting it so bluntly, but that creativity is so tremendously enhanced or can be so tremendously enhanced. For some people, yes. Um, that Sarah Silverman note keeps coming back in my head, though, and again, personal experience. I remember getting high once on cannabis and writing a poem, and I thought, this is better than anything Yeats ever wrote. You know, I mean, I really was so proud of this poem. The next morning when I was not under the influence. I thought, what the hell is this? I couldn't even make any sense out of it because it didn't make any sense. I mean, there is that element where we kind of think things are being creative and productive and no, it's just not really happening.
2: Right. right? You know, there's the Hemingway quote, right? Drunk, at its sober. I mean, cannabis might not be so different than that. You definitely need the sober brain to like take a look at what you're doing creatively and, you know, have some kind of input. But I would also say that you know, the things that have been studied for creativity and cannabis are kind of the brainstorming aspects of it. So like hyper priming, right? Connecting different ideas that you might not when you're sober. So, you know, putting words next to each other, right? Poetry is the best words in the best order. Maybe cannabis is not the go to for those final stages of making sure you're writing the most amazing poem. But for that, the impetus and for the, the creativity and the brainstorming part of it, it usually is, is, is people have found pretty, pretty helpful.
0: You think you're more truthful on cannabis? You know, remember in Vino Veritas, you know, this idea that alcohol makes you truthful yeah. even with loose lips that can sink ships and all that. You're right. more uninhibited somehow.
1: So you speak truth to a greater degree?
2: I, probably. Anecdotally for myself, definitely.
1: <laughs> I just think more open. More yeah. open, you know. I mean. Uh, Less boundaries. Just, just at a party, just if, if, you know, if people are, you know, just. They, the way, even the way that you pass it around, the way you might pass around a joint or, or you know, some sort of pipe, you just don't do the same with a glass for some reason. It feels more communal, you know? And Well, they I say MDMA feel, is, is, the, is the best substance for that. Uh, or MDMA yeah, is, is, yeah. is, is <laughs> you know, the winner and still champion for that. But, uh, you know, but I feel like, I don't know, empathy levels go up and maybe like, and again, like maybe not so short when your kid is frustrating you. And again, not your kid driving to a play date, but you know, like the end of the day, like some people have a glass of wine, right? I just feel like, I don't know, am I a better person? I don't know. I like myself maybe a little bit better, but I also like myself when I'm completely sober and have no (laughs) alcohol or drugs inside me. Well,
0: since you talk about kids, this idea of the inner child, forgive me, but it still sounds a little woo-woo to me and probably to many other people, but- you kind of champion the idea that cannabis is tied to that. What, what do you mean? Spell it out.
2: Right. For the for your inner child. Well, I mean, I think one of the things we talk about, particularly in the book, one of the things I get asked is if somebody says, what's your favorite activity to do high? I mean, there's so many of them, uh, but one that is less explored is actually play with kids. Um, and like Larry said, nobody's advocating for the picking up carpool high, <laughs> but uh, it that kind of tamping down of anxiety, anxiety, um, to, you know, all the, the, the running loop of things that you have to do in your head can really focus you and put you in the moment and, and make you more open to new experiences. And so I am a big fan of like being around kids, particularly with art projects, <laughs> Um, you know, use, while you're using cannabis. There's just a kind of getting in touch with being. I think it's not even so much the creativity piece of it, but being in the moment.
0: Yes. I, the the woo woo part of it is the inner child it came out of the right. human potential movement and the idea that somehow you're gracing your own ego with a sense of going back to the freedom of childhood or the uninhibited I think it,
2: it's probably just inhibitions right we as we grow up and become adults we you know have so many inhibitions that didn't exist when we were children so getting rid of some of those you know does feel childlike
1: and you know what you know what happens on cannabis a lot you laugh yeah. you know and like just laughing and laughing is, you know, is kind of contagious. And it's it's just a blast. Yeah. And
0: sometimes, you know, I can remember, for example, it's like that poem I thought rivaled William Butler Yeats. I yeah. remember laughing hysterically on cannabis, the times when I wasn't paranoid, uh, and um, laughing uncontrollably. I mean, and I'm not much of a laugher. I mean, frankly... It's it's hard to get me to laugh, even though I've written books about humor. Yeah, you wrote a book
1: on Jewish humor, so I don't know about I did. this. That's true. Yeah.
0: Um, and, and, you know, I'm more of a scholar about uh, humor than I am necessarily a recipient of it or someone who laughs easily and wickedly. But boy, you know, I think about it, I try to recreate it the next day and think, what was that? You know, it wasn't even necessarily funny at all. And you but know, it's that's okay. One of our it's good activities to be a hyena called- for a while, yeah.
1: <laughs> right, yeah and you know what and then the moment was good to do it and, and the aftermath of reading like this wasn't this wasn't Yates. but one of our, our activities is high shark tank everyone has these great ideas high and the idea is that like you know you everyone comes up teams come up with an idea and somebody to judge and and you decide and and then the rules are if anybody actually gets funded by shark tank you have to give uh everyone two percent of the profits the first year some goofiness but the idea is you're hyper-priming, you're being, you're almost whiteboarding your mind. And some things, if there's a nugget or a kernel that comes out of your, a line you might use at your next poem, Michael, or an idea for a company or a game or something, well, then that was time well spent. And you know what? Why not?
0: You think somebody could do a better job of selling themselves on Shark Tank or, for that matter, selling a product with the help of cannabis again, providing <laughs> the right dose? I mean, maybe a 2.5, not microdose.
1: I mean... You know, um, you know. It's funny. You ask, do we are we do we are we high now, and we're not. But you know, sometimes before when we do book events, uh, I would just do two point five milligrams, a little a little microdose, because it just made put me into flow, and I feel like more might actually be too much flow or too much confusion uh, for essentially a work event. But uh, I don't know. I I would I would I would I would I would bet I would bet a good solid nickel that somebody is done Shark Tank high. I don't know if they've won.
0: (laughs) You remember when Clinton said, yeah, but I didn't inhale? I mean, it sort of seems silly in retrospect, of course, but to some degree, there are people who find, I don't know if you really get into this in the book, there are people who find it difficult to inhale. Um, They're not used to that. Uh, In the same way that uh, especially non-smokers who haven't experienced inhaling have to kind of be taught to inhale. So you have to be taught in a lot of different ways to use the flower correctly including inhaling. Yeah,
2: we we have a section in that. And, and I have a very quick and easy tip for anyone who is worried that they're not inhaling. And that's that you take the smoke into your mouth and then you take a deep breath. And by default, you're going to force the smoke into your lungs. Also along that, a lot of things that even old timey stoners don't realize is that you actually don't have to hold the smoke in your lungs. It is immediately transferred to your bloodstream. There's nothing is gained by like that kind of like stoner, like I'm going to keep it in as long as possible. Um, unnecessary.
0: Yeah, but it's still good to remember that you shouldn't necessarily take anything into your system that doesn't belong there. And there are people who believe that and I'm not necessarily uh, in opposition to it. But here's Brad from Columbus, Ohio, who says, some people like me actually experience heart rate increases and get stressed when using cannabis. How common is this?
2: Yeah, very common. It's the high THC as well. It's just that there's too much THC in whatever you're consuming. So if you're if it's a, if you're smoking, you just need to get a, a strain that's lower in THC. And you know, cannabis companies are leaning into the marketing tool of like, oh yes, the more THC, the more people will want it. They want to get higher and higher. But the truth is, is that you only once your cannabis re- your cannabinoid receptors are filled, extra THC is doing nothing for you except for giving you. Um, uncomfortable symptoms like anxiety or heart rate. So going in and asking for a low THC strain or going you know with a, an edible that's you know five milligrams is the best thing that I would recommend for that.
0: But it's true, isn't it that people do want to get higher and higher often I mean especially if they feel the euphoria and the delight and joy that you talk about they want to get into an even higher state often and so selling cannabis competitively can be based on how high they can get you. It just seems axiomatic to me. Yeah.
2: And and you know we talk about and I talk about this often is that you actually want to smoke the lowest you can THC in a strain as possible. Um, lots of reasons why. One is you don't get those uncomfortable effects that you and that your um, listener talked about. Also, there are there's a and I'm blanking on the word right now, but there's this horrible syndrome that some people can get where when they consume cannabis, they actually throw up, like compulsively throw up until they're sober, and that never goes away. It's something you have to live with the rest of your life if you develop that syndrome. It's pretty rare, but it exists. And one of the things they found is that it happens more with people who smoke high strains of THC, cannabis.
1: You know, at some point, your kids, uh, if you have children, might... uh... Curious about alcohol or cannabis, and we we have learned, you know, over over time how to, to talk to kids about alcohol. Like they don't know if you, if you drink a whole bottle of of Jack Daniels, it's going to be different than if you drink, you know, a couple of sips, right? And so the idea that that education piece that like you really have to understand how this flower, this drug, whatever we're going to call it, how it works in your body, because it's not a, a universal. Uh, thing the way alcohol is at this moment.
0: Well, I see you too as being educators as well as evangelists.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's no... How can we evangelize without trying to educate first? No?
0: No, you can do both simultaneously, and you do. Or or even uh, on... But how do you two work together? It always interests me. I co-authored a book with a woman named Maggie Sokolik, a professor at Berkeley, and uh, called Sound Ideas, out of print many years now. But um, it was... Easy to work with her, and sometimes it can be when people co-author books really challenging. And I'm also wondering how much you used cannabis and the work you did together as co-authors.
1: Well, as well, first of all, we neither of us, uh, you know M- Melanie's written novels. I've done the six-word memoir books and other books. We've never really worked closely with another co-writer, right? So that was interesting and sort of potentially disastrous, but it was great. And as I'm sure your listeners and audience can tell by now, Melanie rocks the science. And I have a lot of goofy, fun ideas. (laughs) So she's a professor of creative writing, but nonetheless, she's very professorial. And so I know when we were, uh, you know, the book is divided into seven sections, cannabis for the mind, the body, creativity, connection, and productivity, joy. I think those are seven. And each section begins with kind of a thousand words (laughs) on the science,
0: Your pillars, you call them your pillars, right?
1: Or the pillars of, yeah, the pillars of life. Exactly, seven pillars. And then under each pillar are like 10 or 12 things, news you can use, activities to do with the mind, with creativity, with connection. And um, I did the first draft of the first, uh, I think it was, this was um, body of the science. And Melanie's like, good job. I'm going to handle the science from now on. So we figured out our strengths and our weaknesses. And, and, you know, if you see a chart in there, we probably wrote that high. If you see science, we probably wrote that with, with no inebriance at all in our bodies. What would you add?
2: Yeah. And I think that, you know, I tend to write slow and meticulously. I'm the bricklayer, laying one brick after another, after another. And he's the more, there's got to be a more eloquent way to say this, but the vomiting on the page type. There is, there is more way (laughs) here. It is
1: one of, my, one of my first six-word memoirs, the other thing I do is, through spaghetti at wall, some stuck. I like to throw things on the wall. I hyperprime. I don't know. And then I see what sticks the next day, the next week, the next hour.
0: But when you throw the spaghetti on the wall and you're really high, you can see Rorschach's and all kinds of visual things that you couldn't see before, right? Then I want Then I
1: want to eat all the spaghetti. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you want to eat off the wall, yeah. Sanjay Gupta, the CNN doctor, use pot.
1: We know that how?
2: All of these celebrities, we obviously found the research to support all of them, but where we found it all is, you know, uh, well, a little fuzzy.
1: Um, almost all of those were from first-person testimonials that were verified, yeah. whether a, an article on Time Magazine or a CNN interview, that kind of thing.
0: Because it's still a little delicate for certain celebrities, especially somebody like that who's a doctor giving advice to people and very much in the public eye to say, I actually got high, I used pot. I mean, especially in parts of the country like in the South where – it's still illegal and so forth. Yeah?
1: Well, and you know, and, and that's brave of him. And, and, you know, um, one of the reasons that, you know, I remember asking my doctor years ago here in California, um, you know, Hey, I'm experimenting with cannabis for sleep. What do you think? And she said, I don't know much about it. And I really wish I did. But if I did, because the medical license, a federal license, I can't talk to you about that. And my cousin's a doctor in Pennsylvania. And he said, I am getting so many older Americans older, older uh, patients who are like, really? I'm using it for this anxiety. What do you think, Dr. Mann? And, you know, and he's like, I'm going to have to read my cousin's book. Yes, but also they can't legally talk about it. And, and we talk about, you know, a gap in terms of knowledge. If um, the doctors were educated and, you know, they, and, and they can talk to their patients. That's a, that's a big, that's going to be a big, a big sea change for the, for this, um, for the movement of, of safe, legal. And, I think it's and safe to Canada. say
0: that sea change is already here. Yeah, the sea change is coming, but there's so much more work to do. Uh, Well, um, your book is laying the way to some degree, um, but I think it's, like I say, it's already here to some degree. Let's go back to something that I really want to pay more attention to, and that is the racism that was so attendant to the lack of legalization and lack of research and Schedule I status of marijuana. You touch on this, and I think it's important to, Expand a bit on it. So, what did you? Where did your research lead you on this?
1: Well, you know, uh, and a lot of a lot of people, normal being one of them, and, and uh, there's there's so many organizations that have been really fighting these fights, which is that, you know, that that thing that happened in, in 1937 when Harry Anslinger, who you mentioned, the first uh, commissioner of the uh, Federal Bureau of Narcotics, um you know, declared a war on drugs and that the center of that war was Mexicans ruining our hearts and minds with the, with the, with the marijuana they're bringing in from, uh, from Mexico, you know, that really stuck. And it's like, you know, the, 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 you know, the old adage, you know, this Michael with, uh, newspapers, the uh, mistake is on page one and the corrections on page 30, right? So correcting that image is, you know, it's not done yet. It takes decades. Um, uh, brown and black people are arrested at a at a much higher rate for, uh, uh, for, for cannabis uh, possession, and they do not use it at any higher rate than every other uh, race and ethnicity. And so- there's No, just- in some
0: cases, it was just planted on them, in fact.
1: Uh, planted know, all sorts get of, an of awful yeah. stuff,
0: yeah. Well, you, you, we talked about the seven pillars a little bit, but I think we may have left out a few that we might want to give a little more attention to, but- I want to get to the the sense of joy because that's so central to your title and everything else. Talk, if you will, about why we have joy enhanced by using cannabis, especially regularly using cannabis as opposed to with periodicity or erratically. I think that's in your argument here, isn't it, to some degree?
2: Regularly? I think that it really is about, I don't think cannabis is going to increase your joy in life when you're not high. Um, it doesn't have that kind of long lasting, uh, that other drugs, like that they're finding MDMA, you know, has these protecting qualities once you've finished using it. I don't think cannabis has that so much, but the idea of tapping into that joy in the moment I think is, you know, super important. And I think just having those moments probably affects your day to day living. But it's not like a, it doesn't bleed into other areas once you're not high.
0: But it gives you more of a sense of uh, carpe diem. It gives you more of a sense of immediacy, right? It enhances that.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we, people used to think that one of the reasons why we felt so joyful when we were high was because of, it was a dopamine rush, like opioids, heroin, all, that's what happens in the brain. It gives you a dopamine rush. And what we realized or what scientists found out was that it, it, there is more dopamine produced in your brain when you're high, but it's really the endocannabinoid system coming back to that, that, that really produces those effects. But because you have that dopamine rush, there are byproducts of that as well, that those kind of joyful feelings are amplified with dopamine.
1: And we thought, think about two things that the world wants right now in this too much technology, too much social media, too much derision and division. We want to be in the moment. Everyone, we've got to get in the moment, got to get in the moment, you know, and cannabis does slow, sometimes slow, slow you down. As Michael Pollan wrote so beautifully years ago in the Body of Desire, the aura of profundity in which cannabis bathes the most ordinary insights and perhaps most important of all, the sense that time is either slowed or stopped or stopped. Right. So that. Being in the moment. Cannabis can do that, make you so aware of who you are and what you're doing and staying there, not thinking about tomorrow or yesterday. Then the other thing it does, so we want to be in the moment. We also want to be in flow, productive, moving. Those are two great pillars, I think, of of our lives in 2023, 24, and beyond that most of us want. And cannabis- Well, speaking
0: from personal experience, it can also make you very reflective of the past. I've had Proustian moments, you know, uh, that I think are not necessarily aberrant, Uh, under the use. Can it be overly exaggerated, especially when you're talking about things like cancer and, you know, people can maybe put too much hope and too much expectation in the results?
2: For sure. I mean, like, you know, I'm sounding a little bit like a broken record now, but we just need more research. I think the thing where we start to feel like is this the over you know why are you going so overboard with oh cannabis can be a cure for parkinson's cancer etc it is possible but to, just to say that the plant itself can do this it's it's the properties within the plant so it's that investigation of those properties you know the cannabinoids the terpenes you know, there's 108 cannabinoids that have been identified but we really only know what like five of them do so it is possible that all these things are you know, on the horizon. It's just that we need the money and the research and the time to be able to see if that's accurate.
0: And it's also how you use it and how the doses run and so
2: forth.
1: And like, some people, edibles work better for them because it is a different chemicals released in the THC and some people it's flour. It takes a little experimentation. It took me years to realize... Gin is not is not good for me, right? I learned that. Gin, no good for Larry, right? So it can take a while to figure out the right strain, the right dose for each each body and brain.
0: I'll have to think about that gin prohibition that just came across from you. Um, I like a good no gin, gin and gin. tonic now. <laughs> but many thanks to all who joined us live for this episode of Gray Matter with Michael Krasny. And thanks to all who will be hearing us in the future on Apple, Spotify, or graymatter.show. And remember, that's gray with an E. If you've not yet joined our growing community, do go to our website at graymatter.show and become a member. And special thanks to our team of Alex, Shannon, Colin, Chad, Kevin, and Jeff, and to the episode's special guests, Larry Smith and Melanie Abrams. Again, the book is The Joy of Cannabis. I'm Michael
1: Krasny. Bandwidth for Gray Matter is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com.